living with a baby. Babies are the worst roommates. They're unemployed. They don't pay rent. They keep insane hours. Their hygiene is horrible. And if I had a roommate like a baby, I would invite them to leave. <laughs> That's what they were saying. Uh, thank you. I'm questioning, I'm questioning whether you're doing a good job. Every night before I get my one hour of sleep, I have the same thought, well, that's a wrap, and another day of acting like I know what I'm doing. I wish I were exaggerating, he says, but I'm not. Most of the time, I feel entirely unqualified to be a parent. I call these times being awake. <laughs> there you go. That was fun. Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, on toddlers. Toddler judgment is horrible. They don't have any. Put a 12-month on a bed, and they will immediately try and crawl off head first like a lemming on a mindless migration mission. <laughs> then he corrects himself. He says, but the toddler mission is never mindless. They have two goals, find poison and something to destroy. <laughs> Let's see if I have any more uh, saying anything <laughs> on knowing on knowing when your kids are lying whenever one of my children says good night daddy I always think to myself you don't really mean that <laughs> all right well it is good to be in the house of God amen amen uh, our text is Ephesians Ephesians chapter 6 turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 um, we are in this Little window, moving from the completion of the old or the completion of the New Testament. We finished the book of Revelation last month, and we are moving towards the book of Genesis. We have this little window through the month of August where we're looking at relationships, and so today we're looking at the relationships uh, of parenting and children, and children and parenting, if you will. And uh, our text really is a looking back at one of the Ten Commandments, in fact, the fifth commandment of ten, which we are instructed in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, to honor our father and mother. Moses then later in Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter in the 16th verse, he reiterates that for the children of Israel honoring father and mother. And so we'll pick up in Ephesians where the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God the Spirit, he also is drawn to reference this portion of Scripture. Revel or excuse me, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and e the front end of Ephesians chapter 6 is really where we're looking at relationship. And so we're coming in that context. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, and we'll read three verses, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Now I'll read verse 4 also by way of just inspirations for dads. Uh, it says this, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Okay, let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, as we are preparing, God, our hearts to uh, come to the communion table, we talk about relationships. Lord, we're talking about children and their relating to their parents in honor and respect. And we'll also have the opportunity this morning very briefly to look at parenting. And so, Father, help us to glean from the Word of God and to uh, glean biblical principle that we would put into practice that, Father, our homes would more resemble what it is to be like in healthy relationship in the kingdom of God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone put a strong amen. Amen. Well, I, as I was preparing, I couldn't help but be reminded of my own upbringing and my relationship with my parents. And there's always humorous stories when you reflect. So
certainly as an adult, even those most difficult of times of discipline in my life, which I grew up in a home where my dad was very strong disciplinarian, and uh, we look back now, my brothers and sisters, when we talk about some of those stories, we find ourselves actually laughing in humor, but I remember in the moment those times were not necessarily very, very funny. Then I was reminded also this week as I was thinking about this, all of the humorous events that have occurred in my family's life. So Kim and I married 29 years ago. Uh, our, our oldest, Matthew, will be turning 27 in December, and uh, John will be turning 25 in December, and Olivia will be turning 22 in November. And so I was rehearsing just some of the funny things and what I thought was good and the, the perspective of the children versus parents. Now listening to my own kids tell stories about my parenting, me as dad, right? And they, I mean, they, they start laughing, and I'm, you know, I'm laughing with them. Oh, ha, 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 that's funny. Ha, ha, that's not so funny. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want us to listen to that portion of Scripture and recognize that there is an honor that is demanded, if you will, by the commandment to honor father and mother. And so for each one of us, that means something. And I want to bring a biblical understanding of honor because there is a depth that goes with it and it has implication and application to every one of us sitting in this room. For no matter who you are here today, you had a father and you had a mother. And as Pastor Dennis was praying, regardless of what kind of father, what kind of mother, you have had a set of parents and God formed you in a mother's womb and you were born into this world and there is a relationship that God calls us to. And so, the verse carries with it a lifelong application. That means while under the roof of our parents or out from under the roof of our parents, there is a lifelong application of honor. So, Ephesians 6 reminds us, children, obey your parents in the Lord. I just want to encourage all young people here today. You may not have parents that are in the Lord. I know growing up, I did not have parents in the Lord. In fact, I was 19 years old when I gave my heart to the Lord. But nevertheless, there is an order of things, and even as a young man, I began to understand very clearly that there was an order of responsibility and authority that I was learning under the tutelage of my mom and dad. And I just want to encourage every young person here, everyone sitting in this room is under some level of authority. Does that make sense? Everyone nod your head. Whether you're an old folk or you're a young folk, you recognize I am under authority, everyone, right? And God has established family for at least a purpose of understanding submission to authority. I believe it is a goal of a Christian home to train children up in the way they should go in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but that we would raise them in such a manner as to transition that submission, if you will, from the parental authority to our Father who is in heaven and the authority of the Word of God in their life, God the Holy Spirit, and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? It would be, I believe, the heart of every Christian parent that their child would, at a certain age, submit to the Lord. Submit not only for the purpose of, I need forgiveness of my sin, and I want to be born again, and I want to be saved, and know that my name is written in heaven, and I'm going to heaven, but also for this life, his lordship in their lives. And every parent said amen. We want our kids to understand. And the beauty of lordship and the beauty of that relationship is that the Father and Jesus never lords it over us. 
us. They, they instruct us through servant leadership. Servant leadership. And it brings us to a place where I want his lordship in my life because I'm recognizing he wants what's best in my life. He wants what's best in my life. And that puts me in this love relationship. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So, it's while under their roof again. And let me clarify also that word honor for just a moment. Because sometimes there can be confusion. In fact, I won't turn there now. But in uh, Mark chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15, there was some questioning of Jesus by Pharisees, and they were asking him about some traditions of men. It had become a tradition for the Pharisees that they wouldn't eat food unless they had washed their hands. Now, every parent here would say, sounds like a pretty good idea to me. Go wash your hands before you come to the table. But this was a ceremonial cleanliness as well, and there was something about washing their hands. And so they questioned Jesus, hey, how come your disciples don't wash their paws before they eat food? And Jesus qualified, and he clarified something about honoring mom and dad. He says, how is it that you nullify the word of God by your tradition? And they're like, wait, what? And he says, will you nullify the word of God? The word Moses instructs us that we're to honor our father and mother. But you say that whatever I had that I was going to pay to my parents, I say it's Corbin, and therefore I'm no longer responsible to take care of my parents. Now, I reference this simply to say, and I'm going I'm to explain that in a little more detail. But I reference this to say, it's a lifelong commitment. Children obey your parents in the Lord, children. Then later, honor your father and mother. In other words, taking care of them in their old age. Are you with me? They were saying, the tradition was, whatever the cost it would take me, to take care of my parents in their old age, I'm just going to give it to the temple treasury, and I'll say it's Corbin, and therefore it's an offering to the Lord, spiritualizing disobedience. Anybody ever been there before? We try and justify our disobedience. Give it to the Lord in worship, temple treasury, therefore I'm no longer obligated to honor my father and mother. I don't have to take care of them in their old age. And they literally believed they were doing something spiritual. And Jesus says, no, you nullify the word of God by your tradition. He said, don't do that. And so there's instruction there for us. And here is, it's a twofold, two-sided coin. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Adults, don't neglect taking care of your parents in the Lord. Does that make sense? That's a responsibility. Family is so important. So important. And how we care for our families is critical. We should be very mindful. Listen, you ever wonder, kids, young people, you ever wonder how much it costs your family to raise you? <laughs> it is fascinating. And it's a whole lot of moolah. And a lot of people have tried to figure out what that is. And I'll tell you, in society, it's changed dramatically. The cost of raising a teenager in today's arena can become, <laughs> I got some head nods going. They're like, yeah. And uh, I mean, all the way down to all of that athletic stuff when they get into high school. It just like blows our minds. But here's the thing. We're to remember always and be in relationship with our parents and so as to take care of and honor them in their years. And so I want to encourage everyone here today 
I don't know, and there's always going to be some level of an exception to a rule, and there's always going to be some scenario that will be different. But in most cases, this applies unilaterally. In fact, I would say in all cases it applies unilaterally. And if yours is that weird anomaly, just come and see me afterwards. But here's the thing. Let's remember mom and dad. Does that make sense? Remember moms and dads. Okay. So, here's our example is Jesus Christ. In fact, just turn in your Bibles real quick. Luke chapter 2. This is beautiful. I love this early portion of Jesus' life. And we don't have much of his early life. But if you look in Luke chapter 2, this will be a familiar portion of Scripture. We quote parts of it regularly. Uh, The boy Jesus. Uh, Verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Now, If we read verse 40, which I'm just going to back up and read now, it says this, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So Jesus, as he was growing up, he was uh, strong in spirit, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So then his parents said it was their custom, went to Jerusalem at the Passover on an annual basis when he was 12 years old, They went, verse 42, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. While they were there, uh, they finished the days as they returned. The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was after... Three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and awareness or answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. That might be the understatement of the year. Mama, 12-year-old boy, three days searching for their kid in a city that has swelled by some 2 million people, travelers, she's frantic. Frantic. Can I get an amen from some mamas? <laughs> You're like, yeah, hello. She was probably like, Jesus! She was probably so anxious at first, and the moment she saw him and he was breathing, had a pulse, and there was no blood, she probably went instantly from anxiety to anger. I mean, like, how could you do this to your father and I? Of course, we know his response. Why did you seek me? (laughs) That's like smart mouth, right? I mean, his parents would just be like, what do you mean? Why would we, right? He says, why would you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Verse 51, listen to this. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. That's Jesus at 12 who knew about his father's business, but he submitted to his parents. He obeyed his parents in the Lord. So young people, Jesus being our example He understood obedience. He understood authority. He understood subjectivity to authority. And he modeled for us, all young people here, he modeled for us what it means to be subject to the authority of his parents. That's important. And here's the thing. In relationship to taking care of his parents, or parents, apparently Joseph had passed away, his parent, while he is hanging on the cross. John tells us, he says to his mother, Behold your son. Jesus was the oldest. The responsibility was his to take care of his mother. And he was 
was going to make sure that at his departure from this world that his mother was going to be cared for for the rest of her life. He was honoring his father and his mother. He was honoring his mother. She is going to be cared for. He said, Mother, behold your son. And he said to John, Behold your mother. And the scripture tells us that from that moment, John took Mary into his house and took care of her. That's our example. Jesus, he obeyed his parents in the Lord, and he honored making sure that they were going to be being taken care of. Now, mamas and papas in here, that's not for us to lord over our kids. Hey, when you make it big, make sure you're taking good care of mom and dad, right? I mean, we don't, it's not that kind of, it should be a loving relationship, okay? Uh, and I know today I'm skipping stones, and there's so much more to talk about in this, but let's move forward. So it carries with it a lifelong application. It carries with it a lifelong attitude, and the lifelong attitude is that of respect. Children should respect and honor their parents. Again, Ephesians 6, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may be well with you and you live long on the earth. So honor is to give weight or to hold as value or valuable. What your parents say, what your parents think, what your parents do should have value to you and I. And we should respect that. God established the institution of marriage and family in the Garden of Eden, and it is with purpose, it is with intent, and it is within that context, again, that we begin to understand authority, we begin to understand love, and we begin to understand what it means to come into submission. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20, again reiterating Paul to the church of Colossus, he says, Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. To obey mom and dad, to honor mom and dad, is well-pleasing to the Lord. The scripture inspires us in another place. Find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. The scripture tells us in Proverbs, this is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's to the glory of kings to search it out. The searching out, find out what pleases the Lord. Here's one of those things that pleases the Lord. Obey and honor. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, if we just did that, we would be worshiping the Lord. Remember the scripture Paul reminds us to the church in Rome? He says, offer your lives as living sacrifices. For this is your spiritual worship. This is your, this is your duty in the kingdom of God. And in so doing, it is our spiritual worship. And so the simplicity of obedience, almost nothing, and the, simpli the simplicity of honoring and taking care of mom and dad in their old age would be well-pleasing to the Lord and received by him as worship. That's exciting. I think that's exciting. Now, Paul, to help us, because sometimes we try, anyone here ever try and justify not following the commandments of the Lord? Only me? Okay, a handful of us, yeah. I mean, we have a tendency to try and get away with things, and I'm not, I'm not talking about some heinous thing. I'm saying we just try and get out of responsibility. It's kind of like our carnal nature, right? Um, Romans chapter 13 is a fascinating portion of Scripture. I don't have time this morning to go there. It's an opportunity for you to do some reading on your own. But there it simply encourages us, the Spirit of God, through the hand of the Apostle Paul, to remind every one of us to be responsible to the authorities that we are under. For we are under authority. And he talks about what that really looks like. At the end of the day, it's love to come under authority. And if we rebel against the authorities that God has established, the truth is we're rebelling against God himself. Pretty clean, pretty crystal. And so we should, again, honor mom and dad, come under that authority, and it would be well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, I know in my home, I know this guy. Growing up in my house, I used the phrase often, I, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. 
If you're a parent here today and you've heard that kind of a phrase like, I I didn't hear you say that, or I didn't hear you, will you just raise your hand real quick and say, yeah, okay, so most of us parents. If you're a child, at whatever age, you've used that line, I didn't hear you, raise your hand. Yeah, okay, well, oh, well, some of you aren't probably telling the truth. All right, so anyway, uh, (laughs) I mentioned that the series is Home Improvement, and from time to time, I have remembrances of a television show that I watched uh, back in the day called Home Improvement with Tim Allen and a few others, and it's a, it's a humorous uh, portion. And so uh, I have a little clip I want to share with you this morning about the soundproof room, in other words, our ability to hear and not hear. So, John, if you would cue that up, and maybe I can have Matthew or someone uh, dim a few lights in the, in the corner there. Just watch this three-minute three clip, and we'll come back. Soundproof as well as insulate the walls. And there's a variety of products you can use, of course. Acoustic padding, fiberglass batting, or very unattractive flannel. (laughs) The easiest way to install your insulation is during construction, before you put up your drywall. However, if the drywall has already been installed in your home, we suggest the foam injection method. Buddy, the foam injector, please. Here you go, Tim. Thank you, Heidi. You're welcome. Now, for this method, you're going to have to drill some holes in your drywall. But first, you want to find a stud. I said stud, not dud. It's already compressed air in there to make it work. Put your nozzle in and you start insulating. Mm-hmm. It should dry in about 10 minutes. That's right, eh? Now, to show some of the advantages of soundproofing, the crew and I got here early and constructed a special room. Heidi, my room, please. Now, this room will not only protect you from the elements, keep you warm, but it's also totally soundproof. Here you go, Tim. Thank you, Heidi. Watch this, Al. Can't hear a word. It's so good. Watch this. Talking like this. Walk in. Hi, everybody. It's just great to be here. My name's Tim, the dual... Truly amazing. We, we did not hear a sound. No, that's how it was designed. Give it a try. Let yourself go. It's great. Yeah. Tim? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? In that case, I should be the host of this show. And another thing, that's a stupid haircut you have. specifically, when you say things like, I didn't hear you, we really know on the inside that you probably did hear us. You just had selective hearing and you didn't want to hear that. Here's a little transition for all of us since we're familiar with, I didn't hear that. And we've used that, I didn't hear that. Remember, even as Pastor Dennis was praying, when it comes to the things of the Lord, when it comes to the things of the Lord, no man will make a mockery of God. You see, he speaks to our hearts. We know right from wrong. God has written it upon the tablets of our heart. And so we're not going to be standing up there and say, God, I didn't know that. There's things that we know that we should be doing. And as parents, there's things that you know that you should be doing also. And so let's not mix, let's not neglect simply doing them. Does that make sense? Just like as children, don't simply neglect being obedient to your parents. Be prudent and do as parents ask. 
and you'll understand authority and submission. Listen, every parent knows that when a child goes to their first job and they're given instruction by their employer, if they treat their employer perhaps the way they treated their parents, they're going to have, they're going to be looking for a new job sometime in the immediate future, right? It, we, we learn subjectness to that authority. And so in that home, there's a proper relationship. Now, I just, I'm going to briefly tell my story. In the early days, uh, I, I, I was rightly related to my mom and dad. Uh, we grew up in a, what I would call a very normal home. I was the uh, youngest, or I am the youngest of four kids. And uh, they all viewed me as the one who got away with everything. I viewed me as the one who got away with everything. So, uh, <laughs> so it worked out to my advantage. It, but what I did was I learned how to be a bad or black sheep. And I was learning to get away with things. When I got into my teenage years, and I want to say this to young people, so all the young people tune in for just a minute. I thought I could get away with things, and I thought I was getting away with things. And my behavior and my disobedience transitioned out of the home and into society. And I began to break the rules of society as well. Those things that were commonly accepted as uh, not or the commonly accepted rules of society, I just began to violate them. Like, if it didn't belong to me and I took it, that's called stealing, right? And I thought, well, I want it, so I'm going to take it. And I didn't subject myself to certain authorities. Well, eventually, at the age of 17, the second time I got arrested, I had a conversation with my dad. I was 17 years old, and I did not know that my dad was God. I didn't know. Because I had this naivety that I thought people go to the hospital to be cured and then they come home well. I didn't know that people went to the hospital, became terminal if the condition was such, and they were sent home to die. So, some of the last conversations I had with my dad were in his last, literally last 60 days of life. And in one of those conversations, after he bailed me out of jail, um, it was something about having to make, I should be making some different friends because the friends that I had chosen were helping me to make very poor decisions. And I simply just neglected it and I thought, I left that conversation and thought, wow, I got away with things. I got away with things. The reality is, some of those guys that I was with, on the day that my dad took his last breath, as I was standing over my dad, hugged me. This is hard. He just looked me in the eye. He took his last breath. And I went outside standing in my driveway and some of those guys drove up in the car that I had been in trouble with and they said what are you doing outside what's wrong I said my dad just passed away and they rolled their windows up and they kept driving friends Here, here's what I want to say to every person here on this earth my dad never saw me make good choices he never saw it. Now, lest it be a heavy moment, my dad gave his heart to Jesus, I was told by my sister who was born again. He gave his heart to the Lord three months before he died. And so my dad from the balcony in heaven has seen me become the man that he wanted me to be. Which is, yes, amen. And I'm still in process in that man. I'm certainly... I'm not the guy I once was, and I'm not the guy I'm going to be. Jesus has made a difference in my life, and he's transformed this sorry thing. Thanks be to God. I say that to say, young people, learn from this guy's mistake. No one has a promise of days. No one, in a matter of speaking, none of us knows when our day is coming, where we're going to be called up to be with the Lord. And you don't know, so live well now. And if you're an adult here, that absolutely applies to you. Let's live well now, right? I mean, that's important. And so the good news is 
on my mom's side of the story. My mom saw me give my heart to the Lord. She, in fact, was a prodigal daughter. My grandfather was a Quaker minister. He passed away when I was six years old. My mom was away from God. She wasn't, a, she wasn't like a, a real, you know, bad sinner, whatever that even means. She was just living after the flesh, so to speak. And she denounced her Protestantism to marry this Catholic boy named Joseph. And uh, they moved away from the East Coast to the West Coast, I'm sure, to get away from influence and the church. She was away from God all those years. My sister got saved. My other sister got saved. My brother got saved. I got saved. When they got saved, they hadn't been black sheep. I was a black sheep. So when I got saved, it was it was radical. It was radical. I mean, anything that was grieving, I was telling them about Jesus. It was just, yes, that's great. What about Jesus? Yes, I know, but what are you doing with Jesus? Yes, Jesus, 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 Jesus. In fact, I went to a high school. I've told you this before. I went to a high school with 4,000 students. So our graduating class was 1,000 kids. I was on the football team, and I was, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like in the group or whatever. I don't even know what that means, but whatever. I was like in this popular group. And when I got saved just outside of high school, I was at a junior college. I had played my first year of college football, and I get saved. Listen, the phone stopped ringing. Back in those days, in case you didn't understand, phones were actually attached to a wall. And they had cords, <laughs> and that phone stopped ringing. We didn't have answering machines and things like that. And no one wanted to hang out with me. In fact, when I'd call my friends, they'd say, we got other plans. And then I'd find out from someone else, hey, man, they just don't want to hear any more about Jesus. And I thought, well, whatever. It was a radical conversion, and my mom saw that. And here's the thing. My mom became very interested again in spiritual things. She recommitted her life to the Lord. And over the last probably eight years of her life, she was on fire for Jesus again. I'm telling you, uh, she, she, would ju- she just talked about the Lord. She talked about the Lord to everyone. And if you remember my mom, she talked to everyone. So uh, she was like an evangelist. All that to say, my parent, my mom got to see from this earth. My dad got to see from up there. And here's the inspiration, guys. Again, whether you're under the roof or whether you're not under the roof, There's an honor and a respect that is due to parents. And so children, obey your parents and honor your parents in the Lord. Well, it is Communion Sunday, and uh, I have have a number of things that I want to share even further on this uh, relationship of honoring father and mother. Uh, Let me do this. Um, As adults outside of the roof of our parents, as we grow older. Um, It's natural for parents to leave the home. In fact, it's biblical. For this cause, a son will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, etc. Genesis chapter 2. In fact, you may be here today, and you may be a young person, you're saying, I can't wait to get out from underneath the roof of my parents. Let me just remind every young person that has that kind of in their heart, it isn't all what it's, stacked up to be. I mean, it hits, it'll hit you like a ton of bricks. <laughs> uh, Mark Twain said it this way. This is kind of funny. Mark Twain said, when I was 14 year old, years old, my father was so ignorant, I hated to have the old man around. But when he was 21 years old, I was astonished to see how much my father had learned in only seven years. <laughs> uh, again, Jesus is our example. Not only is there honor demanded, but honor can be deserved as well. If we had a parental report card, here's three F's you'd want to see on that parental report card. Uh, The first would be faithfulness. Parents, let me speak to you about faithfulness for just a moment. To be faithful. Be faithful first to the Lord. To the Lord. Spouses, be faithful to your spouse. And be faithful to your spouse. Love your children. 
love your children more than you love your reputation as a Christian. Let that sink in for a moment. It's not what the person in the restaurant thinks of you as a parent. Love your child first. You don't have to have a perfect public child. But when you go, people say, your children are so nice. It's not about your reputation as a parent. It's about simply loving your kids. Simply love your children. Now, you want to instruct your kids so that they can be in public, etc., etc. But when they misbehave, hey, love your kids. Give your kids attention. Don't, don't worry about what's happening over here. Worry about what's happening right here in their heart. And get there. Get there. I know there's a lot more to say and talk in that relationship. Uh, here's a little piece of advice that we practice, and uh, most of you know our kids, and um, I like our kids. I think they're pretty good. Uh, matter of fact, I love my kids. <laughs> Are all three of them here? I see two of them. Yeah, I see maybe I love them. Okay, anyway, uh, those that are with me are all over here. No, no I'm just kidding. My mom used to say, we'd ask his kids, Mom, who do you love the most? And she always would respi- reply, the one I'm with. <laughs> well, that didn't help me any. Okay. Because uh, she wasn't around me very much. So I was like, what? Um, here's a little piece of advice for young parents. We wanted our kids to love the Lord. And not to... Um, not to feel like God had a bunch of rules for them. And so when it came to do's and don'ts, we simply told our kids early on, you are a Morris, and Morrises don't do that. Later, when they could understand our submission to the Lord, they put some pieces together. Oh, we don't do that because that's not best for us. And so as parents, we modeled certain things, but we never said, hey, you're a Christian, and Christians don't do that. Does that make sense? I just want to encourage you. For you and your children, make wearing your name a value. Just like when you're born again, wearing your father's name has tremendous value. Does that make sense? And so they can begin to learn and understand it they value. I hear my kids, we don't do that. We're Morrises. We don't do that. And I, we hear that, we're like, amen. Amen. And now I hear them say sometimes, I'm a Christ follower, and I don't do that. Because I don't need that. Because I know whose I am and whose I'm not. I want to please my Father. Does that make sense? Okay, that's just a little piece of advice. Now, that first F, uh, faithfulness. Be faithful. Model what it means to be a Christ follower in front of your kids. Your actions will speak tremendously louder than your words. Everybody understand that? Yes. Okay. Second F word that you want to, er, no, wait. <laughs> Rewind the tape <laughs> and change that phrase. The second F on your report card fairness. cover. I don't know. Teach fairness and model fairness. Uh, I was not very fair with my kids early on. In fact, the boys could tell you stories about when we built Legos. <laughs> I heard two people laughing in the back, Matthew and Jonathan. <laughs> now, we would build ships and we would spend hours building ships. And I taught them very early that everything should be symmetric. You got two sides to a ship, and they should look exactly the same. And if you got one yellow Lego and it doesn't match the blue Lego on the other side, you got to pull it out, go find one that's that size and get it. So I mean, we're making like you know synchronized ships and so forth. But we had to make them strong because when we were done building, we were going to have wars. And so we would fly our ships through the air, and we would try and hit the ships, each other's ships, out of each other's hands so they'd hit the floor and break. <laughs> I'm giving away terrible parenting here. <laughs> I wasn't fair. I'm just telling you, I wasn't fair. So I made, I knew how to make my ship way stronger than that. 
And not only that, I was bigger than them. I had longer arms. <laughs> and so I'm not sure if generally Matthew was a little faster than John or something because John's younger. <laughs> so John's ship inevitably would get hit and his would fall on the ground. It's great. <laughs> and he'd be upset. And he'd, we'd be talking about him like, oh, son, it's okay. My ship was now vulnerable. I was just talking to him. I was vulnerable. And he looks up. <laughs> he just hammer. I'm like, you can't do that. And I'd pick a ship up and I'd go, whoosh, <laughs> this is bully parenting. Unfair. Now, you just need to know I've grown up some. We don't play Legos anymore. <laughs> My wife, God bless Kim. Thank you, everybody who's prayed for her. <laughs> she needs it because she's raising three boys, not two. And she would tell me, she would say, you can't do that. I said, I'm bigger. <laughs> no. So Kim has helped me, and we've grown. And it, it's been good. She brought fairness into our parenting. <laughs> and my mother-in-law says, amen. <laughs> and I'm just saying to every parent here, fairness is something that you want to model for your children. Does that make sense? It's biblical. <laughs> Conan O'Brien said this, if you know who Conan O'Brien is. Conan O'Brien says, uh, in relationship to teaching and in relationship to fairness, he said, uh, I realized that I was my child's first teacher. And so when I was teaching them about taxes, I used the metaphor while after dinner we were eating dessert. And I was teaching them about taxes, so I promptly ate 38% of their ice cream. <laughs> I thought, that, that's not fair. <laughs> anyway, all that to say, uh, temperance in all things. We're reminded in the scripture about having temperance. And so, parents, show temperance. I, I wrote these thoughts. Our job is to find that place where they can be themselves, discover true relationship with their Father in heaven through Jesus Christ the Son, and have deep fellowship with the Father. And I think we can help them do that. And finally, the third F on your report card, if you will, would be seek solutions. Let me just encourage you in terms of seek solutions. In your life as a Christ follower, you want to have made manifest in your daily living the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we have that fruit working in our lives, the seeds that will be being planted in the parent will produce fruit after that same time. Now, there is a biblical principle that you reap what you sow. If you sow the wrong fruit, guess what you're going to grow? you're going to grow the wrong fruit. Does that make sense? If you're sowing anger, here's imbalance. Remember when I was just talking about fairness? If your disciplinary behavior is like mine was early on, where everything was a corporal punishment moment, and I would raise my voice. Well, thanks be to God again for Kim. She says, no, the infraction doesn't automatically equal attend corporate punishment. First of all, they don't even understand the concept. When you use big words, which I was notorious for using big words and going on long diatribes about how blah, 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 blah. It was honestly later I discovered watching Charlie Brown exactly what I sounded like to my kids. Wah, 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 I mean, they didn't understand any of it. And so Kim helps. But the idea is that's what you're sowing into your kids. And even if you have teenage kids today, be Prudent. Don't, don't use that age-old adage, well, I grew up in a home like this and it worked for my parents, so that's what we're going to do here. If you're a Christ follower, how about just simply do it the way God does it? Does Jesus teach us and does he treat us that way? No. Have you come to be submissive to the Lord in your life? 
Are you surrendering those things that are not good in your life to the Lord so that you can be well-pleasing to the Lord? I think if we would parent more like Christ parents us, we would find ourselves in a much better place. So it's not, it's not this extreme discipline and screaming and yelling, and it's not this absolutely liberal get away with anything, let's just talk about it, and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it, there's, a, there's a balance there. So that fairness piece, right? And, and that the fruit. If we're bearing good fruit, we can be certain that good fruit will be borne. And I say that love, at least I've discovered love in a greater measure by both the quality and the quantity of time that I spend with my father. That translates into my time with my kids. The quality and the quantity of the time that I spend with my kids. There is no shortcut. Relationships necessitate time and quality of time. To be with a child, looking them in the eyes, listening to them, playing with them at their level, it will, it will cost you to be a parent. Every parent said, yes, it does. I mean, there were days I could tell you in the summer when my kids were this big, did I necessarily want to go out and play kick the can until 10 o'clock at night? Yes. <laughs> There's things we do, not because we want to, because we know it's what will work. And so spend time. And here's the thing. It translates into your relationship with the Lord and their relationship with the Lord. Good relationship begets good relationship. Spending time with Father. Spend time with your Father. All of those things will correlate. I hope I'm making sense. And then finally, let me just, I'll close with this thought. So those three fruits and that honor being deserved, or excuse me, those three F's, F's on your report card, faithfulness, fairness, and uh, fruitfulness. Uh, God honors his demands. He says length of days and wellness or quality of those days. Those promises are true. If we will honor our father and mother, we'll have length of days. I don't know what your length of days will be. None of us do. But the Bible tells us that the promises of God in him are yes and in him are amen. You can bank on that. You can bank on the promises. Length of days. Let's honor our father and mothers. Does that make sense? Because that applies to every single one of us in this room. Okay? Uh, with that being said, um, we're going to come back to more relationship stuff Next week, I'm going to invite Pastor Dennis to come back up. We're going to share in communion. I know it shifts now uh, a little bit after 1130. And so here's how what I would like to do. If you're here today and there's some things in how you were raised, you say, I wish I wasn't raised that way. Maybe you need to forgive your parents. To just get a weight off your shoulders. Maybe you've carried unforgiveness. And that unforgiveness is a weight. Maybe you haven't been a good parent and you wish you were a better parent. That starts today. That can start today. And we have very reasonable help for any parent here that would like some help. We would love to be a part of that. Does that make sense? And you can simply say, you know what? I was this, and I don't want to be this anymore. I want to I be different. Okay? With Christ, we can make change in our lives. Left unto ourselves, probably going to have a real difficult time. If you don't have a relationship with adult children and you wish you did, you say, something happened. And we, we all understand, you know, faults and trying to ascertain who's at fault doesn't solve the problem. doesn't solve the broken relationship. And so praying for restoration and healing today so that relationships can begin. It may not be what it once was, but it doesn't have to continue in what it is today. It can be something entirely new. And it can be something entirely beautiful. Does that make sense? 
wherever it may be for you on that relationship scale, mothers and parents, mothers and fathers, or children, or any direction that way. If there's some things that you just would like to see right, I'm going to ask you that when we come to the communion table today, that that would be your prayer request. That you would say, Lord, help me in this generation. Help me with this. And if you own responsibility, just make confession. Say, Lord, my part. This is it. Boom, boom, boom. I've just given it to you and saying, Lord, forgive me. Help me to, to work it out with this other individual or these other kids or with my fiance. Um, what we're going to do, we serve an open communion, and our, our elders are going to come. Guys, come as you prepare to uh, serve us. And we'll be standing in just a moment. We'll make our way to the center. We'll come and we'll receive. There'll be at least four of us up here that'll be serving. And uh, if you're gluten-free, we actually, at the table, there is some gluten-free bread so that you can partake in that uh, and, and join with us. Because some people abstain from communion because they're gluten-free, and it, it creates problems. We have gluten-free bread now as well. Um, if you're here today and you're born again, this is in remembrance of the Lord. If you've not made a commitment to the Lord, your faith is not in Christ today, you could have the expression of faith in the Lord today by saying yes to Jesus. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. You could even, by partaking of communion this morning, be making a public declaration, I am willfully becoming a part of the new covenant in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. My sin is being covered by his shed blood, making atonement for my sin. And we would invite you to do that. If you're in your journey and you've not yet made a commitment to the Lord, the Bible instructs us to not partake of communion in an unworthy manner. If we recognize that the communion cup is a representation of a new covenant, and I'm not willing to come into that covenant relationship, but I'm going to go ahead and partake of it and make a public statement that I am, that would be like taking the Lord's name in vain, simply saying, well, I'm a Christ follower, but I'm not following Christ. Does that make sense? That would be taking the Lord's name in vain. We would just encourage you not to do that because the Bible says there are some that have and it brings about trouble in their life. It even says up to and including death. And so there's a warning there. But that's not for probably the majority of us here. So I'm simply just going to invite you to stand this morning. Will you stand with me? And we're going to worship the Lord together as we receive communion. Come and receive the emblems and then take them back to your seats and we'll partake of them all together in just a few moments. I invite you to come forward.
betrayed. That last supper, that last Passover meal, he told his disciples that he had longed to share in this meal with them. For it was at that meal that he was making a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant that would be in his shed blood. At the time of the supper, he took bread. Giving thanks, he broke the bread and gave the bread to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, but this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this often in remembrance of me. We hold today in our hand this bread. We commonly call it matzah bread. It is bread without leaven. Leaven in the scripture is a type of sin. And Christ being the very bread of life, he is without sin. And so it is unleavened bread. It's bread that has holes in it. They do this, and they've been doing this for centuries. These holes are a representation, if you will. Unknowingly, the Jews, every time they partake of Passover, to this very day, when they hold and behold the bread of the Passover, the matzah, they look upon the one whom they have pierced. The prophet Zechariah said they will look upon the one in whom they have pierced. And they have been doing that for literally centuries since the crucifixion of Christ. They will one day look upon him physically, the one whom they have pierced as well. It's also scored. You can't see it probably in your piece of bread that you have, but on the larger sheets there are lines that go perpendicular to one another across the bread and down the bread. The prophet Isaiah reminds us, but it is by his stripes that we are healed. Our healing really takes place in a supernatural way. His broken body and his shed blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Christ died once for all. And so, taking the bread, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so today, as we partake of the bread, we do this in remembrance of what Christ did and accomplished for us at the cross. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the bread. Father, we give you thanks for your great plan of salvation. You demonstrated your love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A substitutionary death, a death that each one of us deserved, he died in our place that we might not taste death. We simply give you thanks today, Father, for your plan of salvation. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, even to the point of death and death upon the cross. We give you thanks today. Let's partake of the bread together. After the supper that night, and if you've been coming to Hillside for any time, you know that in the Seder meal or in the Passover meal, there are four cups throughout the night that all of the participants partake in. The third cup is known as the cup of redemption. It's the third cup, and it's after the meal. And the scripture clearly tells us that it was after the meal that he took the cup. So therefore, we know it was at that point that he was referring to redemption. And he says, this cup, this cup, redemption, is no longer in the blood of bulls and rams. But it is in the blood that will be shed upon the cross of Calvary in my shed blood. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And by partaking of this cup today, you are declaring to not only your Father in heaven, to your brothers and sisters in this room, and to yourself, you are saying, I am a willful participant in the new covenant of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. My sin is covered by his atoning work once for all. We're saved. Our sin is forgiven. We've been justified. God sees us as though we've never sinned. So, Father, today as we hold these cups in our hands, we thank you that redemption is no longer with the blood of bulls and rams. But our redemption was paid for. Jesus declared upon the cross at Calvary, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. The debt has been paid in full. Satisfied. Jesus, you satisfied the righteous judgment. And therefore, our sin has been atoned for. We have been redeemed. The cup of redemption is now applied in our lives. And we say thank you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that our sin is covered. 
Son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Have a good afternoon.